And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today's February the 9th. 40th day of the new year. 325 days remain to the end of the year. And February 9th's been an interesting day in history. 474, Zeno's crowned co-emperor of the Byzantine Empire. 1003, the III is restored to authority with the armed support from Boleslaw I, also known as the Brave of Poland. 1098, Army of the First Crusade under the leadership of the Hemond of Toronto wins a battle against Seljuk Emir Ridwan of Aleppo during the Siege of Antioch. 1539 saw the first recorded race uh, held at the Chester Racecourse. And in 1555, the Bishop of Gloucester, John Hooper, is burned at the stake. If you don't believe the way I want you to believe, I'm going to burn you. 1621, Gregory XV becomes Pope. The last Pope elected by acclamation. After that, it became a good old boy system. 1654, the capture of Fort Rocher takes place during the Anglo-Spanish War. 1775, American Revolutionary War. The British Parliament declares Massachusetts in rebellion. Oh, woe is me. 1778, Rhode Island becomes the fourth U.S. state to ratify the Articles of Confederation. 1788, the Habsburg Empire joins the Russo-Turkish War in the, on the Russian side. 1900, the Davis Cup competition is established. 1904, the Russo-Japanese War. The Battle of Port Arthur concludes. 1907, the Mud March. The first large procession organized by the National Union of Women's Suffrage Societies. 1913, a group of meteors is visible across much of the eastern seaboard of the Americas leading astronomers to conclude the source had been a small, short-lived natural satellite of the Earth. That was their conclusion. Doesn't mean it was true. 1620, under the terms of the Svalbard Treaty, international diplomacy recognizes no It was a miracle. 1942, year-round daylight savings time, also known as wartime. Reinstated in the U.S. as a wartime measure to help conserve energy sources. 1943, Pacific War. Allied authorities declared Guadalcanal secure after Imperial Japan evacuates its remaining forces from the island, ending the Battle of Guadalcanal. 1945, the HMS Venture sinks U-864 off the coast of Fijian Norway in a rare instance of submarine to submarine combat. Also in 45, force of Allied aircraft unsuccessfully attacked a German destroyer in Fortehorden, Norway. 1950, the Red Scare. Senator Joseph McCarthy accuses the U.S. Department of State of being filled with communists. And he was going to root them out one at a time. 1951, Korean War, the two-day 
Jail Chang Massacre begins as a battalion of the 11th Division of the South Korean Army kills uh, 719 unarmed citizens in Jail Chang in the southern Gyeon Gang district of South Korea. Under 59, the R-7 Semiorca, the first intercontinental ballistic missile, becomes operational at uh, Panayasetsk in Russia. 1964, the Beatles make their first appearance on the Ed Sullivan Show. It performs before a record-setting audience of 73 million viewers across the U.S. 1965, U.S. Marines send a M1, M23 Hawk missile battalion to South Vietnam. First American troops in country without a an official advisory or training mission. And he's 71, a 6.5 to 6.7 Selmar earthquake hits the greater Los Angeles area with a maximum Michaeli intensity of 11, which is considered extreme. Kills 64 and injures 2,000. And he's 71, Joshua Page becomes the first Negro League player to be voted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. 1975, Soyuz-17 Soviet spacecraft returns to Earth. 1976, Aeroflot. Flight 3739, a Tupolev Tu-104 crashes during takeoff from Yurutsk Airport. Kills 24. 1978, the Bud Company unveils its first SPV-2000 self-propelled rail car in Philadelphia. The um, 1991 dissolution of the Soviet Union. Voters in Lithuania vote for independence from the Soviet Union. 1996, the Provisional Irish Republican Army declares it's the end of its 18-month ceasefire and explodes a large bomb in London's Canary Wharf, kills two people. 1996, Copernicum is an element discovered by Sigrid Hoffman, Victor Ninyov, and some others. 2001, the Amy Maru and the USS Greenville uh, collision takes place, kills nine of the 35 people on board the Japanese fishery high school training ship, Amy Maru, uh, leaving the USS Greenville with uh, $2 million in repairs at uh, Pearl Harbor. 2016, two passenger trains collide in the German town of Bad Eibling in the state of Bavaria. Twelve die, 85 are injured. 2000, Salvadorian President Ayib Bukili has the army soldiers enter the Legislative Assembly to assist in pushing for the approval of a better government security plan. Causes a brief political crisis, but what the heck. Understand 2001, the second major waste of money brought about by the Democratic um, House was the second impeachment trial of Donald Trump began on this date. You know, when you part of the problem, I think, was Donald Trump was. He didn't care what you thought of his program. If you thought it was right, he did it. 
and Schiff and Schuern and part of that crew didn't understand why they didn't get what they wanted. So they wanted to impeach Trump. And they thought they could control Pence. I think they would have had uh, a hard road to hoe with Vice President Pence, but uh, both impeachments failed. Then they tried to have him uh, uh, barred from running again because in a race between Biden and Trump, I think Bi uh, Trump would come out on top. So you're going to see a lot of shenanigans going on. Now, we've been talking about haunted hospitals. And we're going to do that today and do some more tomorrow. And we're going to go to the state of New York. North Brother Island. The Riverside Hospital. Now, typhoid Mary is a term often used to refer to the origin of an illness outbreak. Somebody comes into your office coughing on Tuesday. By Friday, everybody that works around her is sick. You call her Typhoid Mary. But the phrase itself originated with a real person, Mary Malone. First person to ever be called Typhoid Mary. Also the first person in the U.S. to be identified as a, an abs, um, asymptomatic carrier of typhoid fever. And though she was immune to the disease and didn't show any symptoms of it, she could still affect others with the disease. Now, once identified her as the source of several typhoid outbreaks, authorities attempted to talk her out of continuing to work as a cook in order to minimize the risk she posed, but she refused. I mean, typhoid is normally spread through fecal oral transmission, so if she wasn't handling people's food, she'd be less likely to infect them. It's known that she's infected at least 53 people, three of whom died. In order to protect the public, she was quarantined in the Riverside Hospital until she died a number of years later. Now, that hospital, and in fact, entire island is widely thought to be haunted, but uh, the specific uh, form of the uh, haunting is difficult to pin down, maybe because the island has been largely abandoned for decades. Of course, that's subject to change. Is there plans to open it up to the public? And when that happens, who knows what stories are going to start making the rounds. You know, additionally, there uh, has been discussion about uh, moving some of the many migrants to the island. You know, New York uh, bragged it was a sanctuary uh, state. And New York City was a sanctuary city. Um... And at least she was uh, kept from infecting others. Now, on East, East Bethany, we have the Rolling Hills Asylum. And from the outside, it's a picturesque red brick building with its big main door set between two wings that go out at right angles to each other. It's like a fantastic place to wander through. Not even though I have a picnic right out on the front lawn. But, truth be known, your picnic would be unlikely to be as peaceful as your first appearances might apply. 
because Rolling Hills Asylum is said to be a hotbed of paranormal activity. Now, Rolling Hills opened as the Genesee County Poor Farm in 1827. The intention was to house those in need, like orphans and widows and the homeless. It was a huge farm, 200 acres of property. The original building wasn't exactly small either at 53,000 square feet. Now, running an institution of this size, though, is not cheap. So, despite the good intentions that expired its creation, eventually, in order to to make ends meet, Rolling Hills expanded the range of people it took in. Soon, criminals and the the insane joined the ranks of those too poor or too weak to take care of themselves, all of them living uh, next door to one another. Now, it was a trio of ghost hunters that you can see on Ghost Adventures. And they traveled the world investigating haunted properties. And one of the investigators made the comment, if you were a mother with children, you put on the same floor with drunkards and pedophiles. So can you imagine what the living situation must have been? But the criminal insane living under the very same roof as her as perfect victims must have been the perpetrator's paradise and hell for those who were only at the poor farm in the first place because they couldn't fend for themselves. Now, after the Civil War, investigators did studies on the various poor farms, and according to uh, a paranormal investigator named Stacy Jones, the poor farm that eventually... Uh, became Rolling Hills was considered the worst in the state with regards to how those within its walls were treated. You'd have to work pretty hard to provide worse care for the weakest members of society than to house them with criminals and the insane. Now, once it ceased to function as a poor farm, the Genesee County Infirmary was built on the grounds. And that hospital had a long lifespan, including a stand as a tuberculosis sanatorium, before it became a nursing home. Now remember, quite often, hauntings don't have anything to do with the building itself, but actually the location where the building sits. When you've got a, a, uh, a structure that sits in a location that's been long inhabited, you have no idea what's going to pop up. With about 1,700 people buried on the property, a tumultuous history that included selling children as laborers and rumors of witchcraft and magic spells being cast on the grounds, I mean, is it any wonder this is known as one of the most active paranormal sites in the U.S.? Now, there's an electrical substation directly across the street from Rolling Hills Asylum. Now, skeptics, of course, believe it's possible that some of the credit for the unexplained noises and sightings and equipment readings belong to the effect of the substation. They think electromagnetic interference from the substation can explain many of the phenomenal uh, uh, events and phenomena experienced at Rolling Hills. One investigator on the uh, ghost hunting show Ghost Asylum um, reported that once he moved about 20 feet away from the station, his equipment stopped registering any electromagnetic frequencies from the station. If that's the case, it's, is it really fair to dismiss unexplained activity as just electromagnetic interference? I don't think so. Now, some have 
another theory. They believe the substation acts as a sort of battery, fueling the spirits to remain at Rolling Hills. The owner, the current owner, uh, said we have a power grid across the street, which I think feeds a lot of the activity. I really believe that's like a food source, if you will. An energy source. And if she's correct, then the power stations are cause of some of the paranormal activity experienced at the hills. But not in the way the skeptics would uh, propose. One of the most frequently... Ex- One of the most frequently experienced phenomena at Rolling Hills is that of the screaming woman. Any time of day or night, a blood-cluttering scream might come out of nowhere to attack your eardrums. Echoes through the hallways, and it's loud. It's even been heard outside the building. And there's no way to predict when it's going to happen. But this particular manifestation has been caught on tape, and everyone that's heard it says it's quite disturbing. Now, a nurse by the name of Emmy Altworth, one of the more malevolent spirits said to reside at Rolling Hills. Not only does she have the reputation of being a downright unpleasant woman when she was alive, I mean, she was violent and abusive, also alleged to have dabbled in black magic and belonged to a satanic coven. Now, her presence is often spelt around the grounds, especially in her old room, tucked far in the back of the top floor at the end of a narrow, poorly lit hallway, her room has been described as lonely and unnerving. One witness said whenever you come into her room, you get that heavy, it's, it's, it's just, uh, it's unsettling. Uh, it's also been reported that men are often grope by an unseen entity and when they're in her old room. Now, the satanic covering, um, Emmy Altworth is, uh, said to have once been a part of, is still active in practicing. In fact, a decade ago, the coven broke into Rolling Hills, and at the dead of night, they snuck in and performed a ritual just down the hallway from Emmy's room. When the caretakers discovered the ritual site, there were candles and drawn circles and feathers on the wall. So you have to wonder what kind of ritual were they performing. What were they trying to accomplish with their display of black magic? Difficult to believe it was coincidence they performed their dark rites just down the hall from where the nurse used to live uh, and is known to haunt a nurse that was said to have been a member of the coven. Was she somehow a ghostly participant? Certainly a lot of folks have asked that. Now the male counterpart to Emmy at Rolling Hills, especially in the realm of unwanted touching, is Raymond. Now, Raymond is almost as well known as Roy uh, that we'll talk about shortly, but well, Roy is known for being friendly and sympathetic. Raymond is the exact opposite. In the book Lost in Darkness, the author says the rumor is that uh, Raymond was once a patient at Rolling Hills, and during his time there, he molested some of the little girls who were unfortunate enough to share a room with him. Seeing that death didn't improve his temperament, women who ventured down into the tunnels and basement that were Raymond's lair and life have reported being groped and attacked by someone or something they couldn't see. So you have to ask yourself, is Raymond still haunting the grounds, molesting people who can't fight back? Certainly it's a distinct possibility. And the attacks extend 
beyond sexual touching into the realm of violent outburst. Um, one investigator in there, Marlena Treat, had a piece of wood thrown at her by an unseen assailant in one of the underground tunnels. Who threw it? Well, nobody can say for sure. But it, well, could have been Raymond, given the location of the attack. He's certainly a likely suspect. Now, I mentioned Roy. His actual name was Roy Krause. Excuse me, Krause. C-R-O-U-S-E. And he's considered, if there is such a thing, the most beloved and the most well-known ghostly resident of Rolling Hills Asylum. Born in 1890, he was afflicted with gigantism which is a medical condition that, uh, just as it sounds, results in extensive growth. People gigantism grow to be anywhere from 7 to almost 9 feet tall. The tallest man ever, at least in, in recorded history, is uh, Robert Wandlow, who was 8 feet 11 inches. Now, Roy's height didn't rival Robert Wandlow, but his peak height was said to be over 7 feet tall, far taller than most men. Now, his parents left him at the Genesee County Poor Farm when he was only 12 years old, presumably because society and his family had a difficult time accepting his unusual size and appearance. And despite how devastating it must have been for a 12-year-old boy to be abandoned in a place like the Genesee County Poor Farm, he said they made himself a comfortable life there. Often referred to as the gentle giant, he spent a lot of time in the library reading everything he could get his hands on and even accumulated quite a substantial library on his own. He also became enamored with music, especially classical music. I mean, there was no question he was comfortable there, and he lived there his entire life, until he died at the age of 62, which meant he spent 50 years at the county poor farm. In fact, there are those that say that Roy's there even today. Now, a huge shadow in the shape of a person has been photographed at Rolling Hills a number of times. So, of course, the question becomes, is it Roy? And his shadow is most often spotted in what's become known as the Shadow Person Hallway. That's in the second floor of Men's Ward. Dozens of shadow people have been seen in this location. But the one that's said to be Roy stands out because of its sheer size. Uh, when the television show Ghost Hunters filmed at Rolling Hills, they sealed up... Uh, Shadow person hallway to prevent any drafts or natural disturbances and set up a laser grid. When they filled the hall with dense fog, they allowed it to settle to the uh, ground. The result is a visual representation of air currents in the area. Now, they filmed for over 10 minutes and didn't see anything unusual. And after they specifically called Roy and asked him to walk through the fog, reassuring him that it wouldn't hurt him, they saw something. An odd-looking energy surge extends into the grid and suddenly disappears in a burst like a balloon popping. So they all wondered, what was that Roy? Did he come to take a look before deciding he didn't want to be there anymore? Certainly that's a possibility. Now in death, Roy seems to be as beloved as he was in life. And every year, the current owners of Rolling Hills Asylum actually celebrate his birthday with cake in the room that used to be his. In April 2015, some investigators went to Nurse Emmy's room with cake to celebrate her birthday, and during their visit, it appeared that some unseen entity was intelligently interacting with their equipment, lighting up lights when prompted and giving responses to questions. 
where Nurse Amy's reputation for being vile and mean-spirited, this entity was friendly and pleasant. In fact, the investigators came to believe it was Roy and not Amy that was uh, communicating with him. Maybe he didn't understand the party wasn't for him, or maybe he didn't care. I mean, let's face it, folks, birthday cake is birthday cake. Now, if Raymond really was a patient who molested uh, children at Rolling Hills Asylum, the Christmas room is a chilling reminder of the sheer number of potential victims he had easy access to. Because this facility was used to house everyone from orphans to the criminally insane. A great number of children lived there. So many, in fact, the Christmas room was created in an attempt to cheer him up in what must have been a very dismal place to spend your childhood. I mean, in this particular room, it's like Christmas is every day. There's a decorated tree, plenty of toys, garland, even stockings hung by a fake fireplace waiting for Santa Claus to come fill them up. In its time, this month's been a joyful place filled with the laughter of children, but now there's something uncanny and, I guess you could say, off-putting about it. The current owners of Rolling Hills uh, come to this room and read stories to the ghosts of children who linger there, and reportedly these same spirits respond to the stories through EVP. Same spirits like to play as well because when toy cars are put on the ground in this room, they'll sometimes move a little bit under the control of a ghostly hand, you would suspect. And there are some who believe the Christmas room is inhabited by something darker than just the spirits of children, something demonic. The theory is that not many people would knowingly open themselves up to demonic influence, but most people would want to comfort and console a lost child if they discovered one. So a demon clever enough to pretend to be a child might find a much more receptive audience or vessel than one who revealed its true nature. So that brings to the fore the, the main question. What really inhabits this room? Is it the ghost of children? A demonic lure? Or something else entirely? Odds um, are we'll probably never know the answer to that question. Now there's no room at Rolling Hills more different from the Christmas room than the morgue. Christmas rooms intended to give children comfort and a place to play, but the morgue is coldly practical and, you hope, not often frequented by youngsters. Now, a morgue is an uncomfortable place to be at at the best of times, but the morgue at Rolling Hills is even more so than a usual morgue. Stories abound about people feeling ill just from the proximity to the table in the room. It seems especially to afflict people who work in the medical field, although... No one seems to have a theory as to why that might be. When the ghost hunters from the ghost asylum investigated Rolling Hills, one of them lay down on the slab and immediately felt unwell. He said, this was really weird. It felt like vertigo. So I lay down on the slab. I felt this freaking sensation all over my body. The room was spinning. My stomach was churning. Never felt anything this crazy before. Now, when Casey Ray replaced Porter on the table, he immediately felt dizzy as well. They started to ask for help, saying that something's going wrong in the morgue in an attempt to get the attention of any nearby spirits. Current owners have a suit hanging from the ceiling in the morgue, and right away it began to spin in place, as though stirred by a strong breeze or an unseen hand. Now, the investigators reported they couldn't detect any 
drafts of breezes, so you have to ask yourself what was causing that suit to uh, spin. Never did get an answer. Now from New York, let's uh, turn our attention to Ohio. Athens, to be exact. Hospital now known as the Ridges had nine different official names between when it opened in 1874 as the Athens Lunatic Asylum when it closed in 1993. Now, the sad story of Margaret Schilling began December 1st, 1978, when the hospital was called the Athens Mental Health Center. And according to... Uh, As I was saying, according to the book Abandoned in Saint Asylums, Margaret Schilling was a patient at the facility and vanished in the middle of winter. And all the search parties were formed and the hospital and the grounds were searched. Nobody was ever able to locate her. And eventually the search was called off. Weeks later, Janitor went up into the attic and made a shocking discovery. He found Margaret's body. According to the stories, Margaret used to love to play hide-and-seek. And the thought was, she'd been hiding up there from those looking for her. Or, she'd become lost and able to find a way out of the attic. No one was ever able to know for sure. But when her body was removed from the freezing cold attic, a detailed outline of it rained on the stone floor. It's so detailed, in fact, that the style of her hair and even some of the folds of her clothing can be seen. And no matter how many times the floor has been cleaned, the, the outline still remains. In an article in the uh, Journal of Forensic Science, uh, the author discussed the tests that have been done since that time on the stains. According to uh, Carolyn Zimmerman, tests prove that though it seems that at some point somebody used chemicals that etched the outline deeper into the floor, the outline was definitely formed by human remains. And some people really believe Margaret haunts the hospital. And that's, if that's true, it, uh, but given the outline of her earthly form, etched into the floor. It seems only appropriate her spirit would be there as well. Then from Ohio, we go to Pennsylvania. Mechanics Grove. <clears throat> There's a private residence in Mechanics Grove that's uh, said to be haunted. It's uh, not been uncommon, particularly in the past, for doctors to conduct business out of their homes. It also sometimes happens that a doctor is charged with malpractice. In the case of this particular story, which came from a 1935 edition of the Gettysburg Times, a mystery is solved, the doctors are arrested, and the locals shun the house where he performed his evil acts. They consider it haunted. Now, according to the story which came out um, in the April, 20, April 20th, uh, 1935 edition of the Gettysburg Times. 
the haunted house on the Susquehanna River Hills is coming to a very, the very end. Villagers predicted for it, and that's why they seldom looked up from their plowing. Though police cars rolled up to the ramshackle farm of Doctor Zimmerly, and reporters and cameramen phoned frantically from the Crossroads grocery store. Lifelong residents of Mechanic Grove shrugged or shook their heads after state police and county detectives broke into the house and arrested the village doctor. And none of them were surprised, they said, when a young girl was carried out of the house to the ambulance. And they also showed little interest in the charges that Dr. Zimmerly performed illegal operations and he had violated the narcotics laws. They also pointed to the high board fence he erected on the one end of his lot, so Hyatt shut off the view of the second-story windows of his neighbor's dwellings. It all wondered about the Zimmerly house, they said, regarding their strange neighbor. There was some were called he treated the poor and never took pay for him. But many others insist the house is haunted and whispered about cries they heard in the night and dim lights seen burning at all hours. They said Zimmerly had come to the uh, community over 15 years ago, and they all remembered the day his wife left him with their daughter. And they all remembered, too, how he built a large tile garage in front of his property and planned to operate a gasoline uh, service station. He never opened that. And he seldom was seen in the faded yellow barn adjoining the garage. Neighbors told state police and the district attorney staff that uh, Half a dozen more cars stopped at Zimmerly Place every night. Most of them came from the main road to Baltimore, and many of the visitors were women. Now, he seldom took part in affairs of the village nor mingled with his neighbors, so he lived from day to day. Dick Parker, handyman, seemed to be his only uh, consistent companion. Neighbors said they knew Parker would be arrested the day Zimmerly was. There was the docks, uh, was also Dick's, was the way they put it. Over the hills in Lancaster, uh, two cronies were locked up. Elsie Miller, the rising sun, Maryland girl the police found in a haunted house, was removed to a hospital, and detectives were told to find Gladys Lawson, who was also a patient there. Now, there are stories Ms. Lawson was buried on the farm after she underwent an operation on the little front room upstairs. And there were a lot of whispers that there may be others buried there as well. The mechanic drove as little to say about the rumors. Little to say for or against the accused village doctor as handyman. But they all agree. There's no question in their mind that house was haunted. Then we go to uh, Pittsburgh. The Dixmont State Hospital. Originally known as the Department of the Insane in the Western Pennsylvania Hospital of Pittsburgh, this hospital, which was built on a campus that uh, covered more than 400 acres, was once considered state-of-the-art and extremely self-sufficient. Built partially in uh, response to need, after the Western Pennsylvania Hospital of Pittsburgh uh, first year of operation in 1853, it was clear to the legislature that the 26 beds were nowhere close to sufficient to meet the needs of a much larger number of patients in local jails and almshouses, places of residence for the poor, the old, and the distressed. 
Construction on this site began in 1859, and Dixmont opened its doors in 1862 with 113 patients. By the turn of the century, hospitals multiple buildings housed anywhere between 1,200 and 1,500 patients. Far cry from the original 26. And like so many similar institutions, Dixmont became severely overcrowded. And it was a time before the diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder, but soldiers in need of care returned from the First World War in the 20s filled hospitals. At the Great Depression, when significant financial difficulties plagued the institution, Dixmont couldn't afford to pay staff anything more than room and board. Pennsylvania Department of Welfare eventually stepped in, and Dixmont became a uh, state-owned hospital by 1946. And shortly after this, previously decried procedures involving the use of restraints and electroshock therapy and lobotomies began. By the mid-70s, the financial situation at Dixmont had become even worse, and as support and interest in the state continued to wane, it closed its doors in 1984 and was demolished in 2006. Now, among the many spirits and entities said to have haunted Dixmont State Hospital is the ghost of a man said to be guarding the morgue. Allegedly, he stood guard in this particular part of the hospital, suddenly appearing and frightening away intruders. One wonders if this might be the spirit of one of the dedicated staff members who remained at the hospital throughout its declining years, protective of the patients and recently deceased inmates, and leery of the intrusion of the state, which ultimately played a role in the institution's demise. Then we have the Penhurst Asylum in Penhurst, Pennsylvania. This asylum is both the shame and the pride of the state. Although a particularly dark and demented pride, I must admit. When we first opened its doors in November 1908, Penhurst Asylum immediately became overcrowded after succumbing to pressures to admit not only the mentally and physically handicapped, but also criminals, orphans, and immigrants. Five years after the asylum opened, a commission for the care of the feeble-minded was appointed. The commission went on to declare that those persons with disabilities were unfit for citizenship and posed a menace to the peace of society in general. And patients were also lumped into different group categories, such as uh, mental prowess, uh, and they could be uh, declared insane or, or an imbecile as well. More than 10,000 patients went through this facility, and many of them were exposed to a, an ongoing regimen of mental, physical, and sexual abuse, often at such atrocious extremes that even some even died from the maltreatment. Considered one of the most striking examples of the maltreatment of patients, there was a 1972 Potsdam Mercury newspaper article labeling Penhurst the shame of Pennsylvania and calling the asylum a vast junkyard of wasted humans. The Penhurst Paranormal Association, which offers both public and private paranormal investigations of the asylum, has concluded many large-scale investigations of their own over the years. And some of the phenomena they've recorded include disembodied voices uttering things such as we're upset and why'd you come and go away and I'll kill you. That's always a favorite. Within the Quaker building are the shadowy manifestations of what appear to be a young girl with long black hair and long dangling arms and a severely hunched posture. Investigators in this particular building were both scratched and shoved by unseen hands and 
One medium has reported a decidedly dark and powerful evil presence in the building. According to the medium, it's going to only be a demonic force or maybe the spiritual manifestation of a truly evil person. The Limerick building has a spectral appearance of a woman wearing an old-fashioned nurse's uniform. This was observed by three different individuals. Multiple EVPs have been recorded, revealing the presence of some odd and otherworldly entities. Loud echoing voices can be heard coming from the Philadelphia building. This despite the fact that at the time, investigators completely surrounded the building before moving in, ensuring that no human inside could have escaped the building without being detected. They wanted to make sure it wasn't, uh, the um, phenomena wasn't faked in some fashion. Now, the property is currently in the hands of private owners who operate a popular haunted house attraction on the site, drawing from the location's dark and disturbing past. Certain controversy exists uh, regarding this use of the space, as some believe the dramatized horrors solely for entertainment purposes is disrespectful to the patients and inmates who suffered the indignity brutality that was once common at this location. One thing we know for certain is that people continue to be fascinated by both mortality and history. The attraction Penhurst allows exploration of both in a unique, fascinating way. And uh, another otherwise abandoned historic site has been used to stimulate tourism in the local economy. Now, the uh, there are a number of attractions available at Penhurst Asylum, according to its website. Uh, the attractions include uh, a hospital-themed haunted walk through the Penhurst uh, Asylum with a focus on the artifacts and items that were part of the original state school. Then there's the Dungeons of Lost Souls. A walkthrough features a labyrinth of old cells and a series of experiments that have gone horribly wrong. Then there's the Tunnel Terror. This goes through a 900-foot tunnel underneath the grounds of the state school. And then we have the ghost hunt. Self-guided tour of the Mayflower Building, which is reportedly among the most actively haunted locations on the site. Visitors are given a flashlight and nothing else as they wander through the dorm. You know, uh, one thought about this interesting attraction is that uh, not only allows people to experience a unique and stimulating thrill, but it also... And it shares that those who are curious to go on ghost hunts don't end up wandering through dangerous asbestos-filled buildings in order to experience that frightening sensation. At least at Penhurst, people are said to be safe from the uh, real-life hazards that come with exploring abandoned sites. Of course, that may not always be the truth. You don't know what's going to come across the barrier. Again, in West Virginia, we've got the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in Weston. According to the stories, once you're admitted to the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, you never get out again. At least not alive. Recently called the Weston State Hospital, its institution now known as the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum was established in 1858. Took over 20 years to build, possibly because the construction was happening at the same time as the Civil War. Encompassing over half a million square feet. 
It's the second largest hand-cut stone building in the world. Smaller only than the Kremlin in Moscow. Originally intended to house a maximum of 250 patients, but uh, in the 1950s it reported they had over 2,400 patients. Nearly 10 times its intended occupancy. The conditions in such an overcrowded hospital were certainly abhorrent, especially when you consider the quality of those patients. The hospital, much like Rolling Hills Asylum, housed the criminally insane alongside orphans. Hospital records do show attempts to separate high and low risk patients from one another. They also tried to segregate them by gender. But still, what a mix it must have been. That people forcibly admitted for insanity or criminal activity under the same roof as those institutionalized for reasons ranging from homosexuality to addiction to homelessness to simply have been abandoned by their parents. In fact, even Charles Manson spent an amount of time incarcerated here. Common treatments for patients during uh, this time uh, was operations. During the time the hospital was operational included electroshock therapy and lobotomies. But the lobotomies performed at Western State Hospital were reportedly even more brutal than average. Apparently, instead of using anesthesia, doctors used electroshock therapy to shock patients into unconsciousness before doing their procedure. Once they were unconscious, a frontal lobotomy was performed with the use of tools as primitive as an ice pick. Individually, lobotomies and old-fashioned electroshock therapy were traumatic experiences, but combining them into one procedure... Frankly, was especially brutal. Maybe the most heartbreaking, tragic story to come out of the shadows of the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum is that of someone named Lily. Now, the sounds of children running and playing and giggling have been reported in several locations within the hospital, but Lily, the spirit of a uh, young girl, seems to stick around the Civil War section. Reportedly, this lonely little girl take unattended candy out of its wrapper or old people's hands as they walk through the hospital. One of the most dramatic stories about Lily comes from Western uh, local Shelley Bailey who told uh, in a documentary entitled Real Hauntings Paranormal Documentary which you can find on YouTube. Uh, she was leading a tour through the Civil War section of the hospital. One of the women on her tour came prepared to encounter Lily had a box of Cracker Jacks and a ball. Inside one of the rooms, she put the box of Cracker Jacks upright on the edge of a sink. And untouched by anyone in the room, the box reportedly fell over, still on the edge of the sink, began to spin in a circle. And then it fell into the sink's basin. And even though uh, Shelly and the other people on her tour could no longer see the box, they certainly could hear the box fumbling around around as if somebody was trying to open it. And uh, soon after that, even though the box hadn't been successfully opened, they could hear the sounds of chewing, and one of the visitors recorded an EVP of a little girl's voice saying, thank you for the snacks. And there have been reports of Lily playing ball with visitors to the Civil War section of the hospital. One of the most detailed reports comes from that same tour group, and you can see the... the uh, paranormal documentary on YouTube. 
The woman who brought the ball, the candy, set the ball down in the middle of the floor. And the entire tour group stepped away from the ball and watched as it rolled to the other end of the room, bounced off the wall, and rolled back to them. What followed was a 45-minute game of rolling the ball back and forth with Lily. It would seem we can add playful and polite to the list of adjectives that describe this spirit, but according to a psychic by the name of Tammy Wilson, her story is not a happy one. She says just upstairs from where she hangs out, there's a spirit of a woman. A very sad woman. Mother without a child. And it's believed this is the spirit of Lily's mother looking for her long-lost daughter. However, for whatever reason, Lily never leaves the main floor of the hospital and her mother never leaves the room she's in on the upper level. They may spend eternity searching for each other, but stairs and building materials always separate them. Then... We have the story of Jacob. And the Western State Hospital opened its to patients in 1864 toward the end of the American Civil War. And because of the timing, many of the early patients actually uh, were soldiers suffering from the afflictions of come with combat. Everything from PTSD to physical ailments like tuberculosis. And they were housed in the part of the hospital that's become known as the Civil War section. Civil War Ring is the oldest, most paranormally active part of the hospital. I know Lily is the best known spectral inhabitant of this part of the hospital. She's not the only named entity people claim to have encountered. There is also Jacob. And little is known about Jacob's life and death, or even why he was admitted to the hospital in the first place. Though he was a soldier in the Civil War, and that's. And it's sad the best way to attract his attention is to be a pretty girl, especially wearing perfume. And that makes sense, really, if he was a soldier in the Civil War. It's no wonder he had to go to his way to attract the attentions of a pretty girl, especially given all the horrors he would have witnessed during his time at war. According to uh, one author, visitors to Jacob's part of the hospital have heard coughing and laughing and footsteps and even whispered threats. And even those who haven't actually heard or seen anything think to feel as though they're being watched when they walk through the Civil War section. Well, the Atlantic Paranormal Society, the one that's known as TAPS, investigated a trans-Allegheny lunatic asylum. Both Grant Wilson and Joseph Halls reported feeling uncomfortable in the Civil War part of the hospital as though they were being ha- uh, hunted. And several times they thought they heard sounds like coughing or movement but there was no one there. Then they turned a corner into an unused room and both claimed to have seen a full-bodied apparition of a man. The figure crouched down and seemed to be sucked or pulled out of the room. Its arms uh, came up over its head and grabbed its head and crouched down to the floor. It looked like he was being sucked back out of the room backward. Now, both investigators agreed with that description, claiming... Uh, both claimed they had seen a man in a medical type robe and appeared that he had just crouched down really fast, covered himself, and jetted out of the doorway. Now, the man had any explanation of who or what they saw, but or how or why I was propelled out of the room backward. Their reported sighting, though, was an interesting parallel with something that happened to one of the facility's tour guides. Carolyn Daniels was standing just outside one of the rooms while conducting a tour through the Civil War section. 
Suddenly something jerked on her skirt and in full view of the entire group, she was pulled down to the ground. It says whatever the unseen force was, it was fighting with her. She said, I was being captured. Witnesses saw her slide backward into the room and one witness uh, claimed I literally had to sit on top of her to hold her still. Finally, whatever was holding on to her let her go and they, they were able to stand up and get out of there. And this may have a connection with the story that the two investigators told about seeing uh, an entity crouch down and get pulled out of the room. It would, um, certainly she was wearing a skirt that may have attracted the attention of Jacob. Now, the Civil War section might be the setting for most of the creepy stories around the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum, but it's not the only area known for its paranormal activity. In fact, the fourth floor is also said to be haunted, as is the way to get up to it. Once when tour guide Carolyn Daniels was stopped on the third floor landing to give a little talk, she watched one member of her group wander away. She continued to talk about the history of the building, waited for him to come back, and when he didn't return, she asked the rest of her group to wait while she went to get him, but discovered nobody was missing. Not only was her entire group present, and accounted for, she was the only person to have seen the man who disappeared. The fourth floor is said to be haunted by a nurse who was murdered by a patient. The body was concealed in an unused stairwell for weeks before she was discovered, so is there any reason, any wonder, her spirit remains? It's also said to be the home of many unnamed spirits whose footsteps, crying, screaming, and moaning have been reported by many visitors. Sue Parker was a retired psychiatric aide who worked at the Western State Hospital for 30 years. She said she knew the fourth floor was haunted because when she'd go up there, she'd hear someone or something following her. One day she finally said, Why are you following me? I don't want to hurt you. Show me what you want. The response? A heavy hospital door opened and slammed. She said that got my attention. And maybe that's what these spirits want, a little bit of attention. The owner of the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum says many visitors report hearing the sound of children running up and down the fourth floor hallways playing and giggling. And, you know, I think we all know how far some children will go to get attention. It's important to remember that with many, as with many closed hospitals, the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum is currently owned by private individuals who used the funds raised from these historical tours and ghost hunts to pay for the facilities' restoration and maintenance. So the better the stories that come out of the walls, the better it is for them. So are some of the stories, uh, shall we say, um, hyped up? Maybe so, but hyped or not, they're still good stories. Well, on that note, we come to the end of today's show. We'll be back tomorrow. We're going to talk about haunted hospitals in other parts of the world. Until then, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.